reading. And today, I want to talk about something else that is a very common part of our life, uh, like waiting. This is also another area that perhaps is not the most enjoyable, and it's not the most pleasant, and it's the, not the most desirable. And I'm talking about pain. We're going to talk about pain today. So today's message is called Purpose and Pain. Purpose and Pain. Would you read God's word with me? It'll be on the screen so you can read along. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 as we get started. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The the word of God says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So first he says, consider it pure joy, right? Consider it joy totally completely right look at is it look at these things as if it were joy and then he says my brothers and sisters so he's not talking about non-christians he's talking to christians and then he says whenever you face trials of many kinds which means even though we are christians genuine real christians we still go through trials all right don't let anybody tell you different right even Christians, even the best of us, like Apostle Paul or, or the disciples or even Jesus, went through trials of many kinds. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces pers- perseverance. Now, he's talking about what? He's talking about purpose, right? He says, we all have pain. Life is difficult. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean bad things are not going to happen in your life, Right? But there is a purpose. Verse 3, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces testing, trials, pain can have the purpose of producing, birthing something in your life. Verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Right? Again, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Notice that he says perseverance, right? It's not just the pain alone. It's how you respond to the pain that matters. Do you see? The response here is perseverance, right? Perseverance, right? Not quitting, not complaining, but perseverance. In other words, having a good attitude, having a good response to the trial, to the pain, to the suffering. And so when we respond in, a, in the right way, then pain can be used in such a way to mature us and complete us, right? You got to think of, uh, you know, you can take the verse down. You, you can think of like the movie, uh, what, what is it, Jerry Maguire, the famous line at the very end. He says what to the girl? You complete me. You complete me, right? Now he's saying this about pain, right? He's saying this about trials, right? Trials, you, you complete me. What's that talking about? Complete me. It's, it means that you are going to find yourself. You're going to know who you are. Isn't that something that so many people, myself included, right? That's something, that's a, that's a deep longing in our hearts. Who am I? 
right? We, we, so many of us don't feel settled in our own skin. We, we don't feel at peace with ourselves, right? And maybe one of the reasons for that is because we tend to avoid trials or we don't respond the right way to, to pain and suffering because, because if we respond the right way, pain and suffering can actually help us find who we are find who we are you know there's a, a line in uh, the movie mission impossible i'm a movie fan anybody else are you a movie fan if you're a movie fan say it in the chat say i'm a movie fan i'm a movie fan i love movies <clears throat> in fact i feel like god uses movies to speak to me a lot and uh there's uh there's this line in mission impossible the the i don't know which number it is because there's so many but mission impossible fallout it's the latest one and there's a part where Ethan Hunt is apologizing to his ex-wife. You know, they, they uh, separated because she was in danger because of, you know, his job. Like he's a spy and, you know, everybody wants to kill him. And if they can't kill him, of course, if you can't kill him, you're going to hurt the people that he loves, right? And so, they, they, uh, so to protect his wife, you know, he, he ended up separating. And then, but the bad guys find her again anyways and, and possibly fall out. And so at the end, he's like apologizing. He's like, I'm so sorry. You know, all of this is happening because of me. And she says, don't apologize. Don't apologize. She's like, I love my life. You know, all the difficulties when we went through, all the pain, all the suffering we went through helped me discover who I am. I realize I'm much stronger than I thought. I'm much bigger. I'm much better than I ever thought. It, it, it released something inside of me, right? I was a timid kitten before. I'm a strong lion now, right? I'm a survivor. I, I can survive things that I never realized I can survive. And so she, she says, I have been matured and I have been made complete through the suffering. Amen? I think we can just pray right there. That's a good sermon right there. <laughs> James chapter 1 through 2 through 4, right? Uh, so, so um, again, we're, we're talking about pain, right? We're talking about suffering in life. Uh, there are, of course, all kinds of pain and suffering in life. Uh, in fact, there's good pains and sufferings, and then there's bad pains and sufferings, right? Uh, perhaps a good pain might be uh, birth, giving birth, right? Giving birth is, 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 a, is a horrible pain, you know, sorry to scare any would-be mothers, but I've heard terrible things about how painful giving birth is, but it's not a bad pain, is it, right? It's, it's not a purposeless pain, it's not a meaningless pain, it's, it's actually a beautiful pain, uh, it's, it's uh, giving birth to, a, to, a, to, to your own child, right? And so that's a good pain. Working out, right? Working out uh, can be a good pain. I mean, it's still pain. It still sucks, right? But if you know the purpose of it, right, you embrace and you know this is a good pain, you know? Like I've, I've seen people in the gym, guys who are like pumping iron, they're like, ooh, yeah, feel the burn, right? They got like this incredibly kind of psycho good attitude when it comes to pain when it's working out. They're like, yeah, right? Why are they rejoicing in the pain, right? Why are they like, yeah, this is good pain, right? Because they know the pain has a purpose. The more pain they feel, they know the stronger they're going to become, the more muscles they're going to gain, right? So there are good pains, but there's also, you know, uh, mixed pains, right? Uh, but then there's also bad pains, right? There's disappointment, there's the pain of disappointment. There's the pain of waiting. There's the pain of loneliness. There's the pain of making mistakes, 
right? Amen? Anybody here? I'm raising two hands to that. There's the pain of regret, right? Decisions you made, you wish you didn't make, things you wish you did but you didn't do, or things you did do that you wish you didn't do, right? Uh, there's the pain of frustration, uh, there's the pain of, of uh, lack of self-improvement, right? This is a pain I, I kind of always deal with this. It's like, why do I not change? Why, do I, why can't I ever learn, right? You're, I'm making the same mistakes, right, at, at, my, at my age now, right? Notice I didn't want to say my age, <laughs> right? I, I was born in 76. You can do the math. I'm doing the same things now that I, that I did when I was 18, Right? I'm making the same mistakes now as I did 21 when I was 21, right? And there's this pain, there's this suffering, there's this frustration and all of that, right? Maybe you can relate to that too. There's the pain of your job, right? Some people love their job, some people hate their job, right? Or some people love their job, but they hate the people they do their job with. Uh, there's the pain of boredom, right? Some of us may be bored uh, in life. Maybe you feel... You wish your life was more exciting, you know. Maybe you wish uh, there would be, you know, more, more uh, fun things in your life. Maybe you're bored, right? Speaking of boredom, maybe some of you are already thinking about long sermons, right? Oh, yeah, speaking of boredom, you know what's painful is when the sermon is too long, right? So let's get it moving. In fact, some of you who uh, think I preach too long aren't even here anymore, right? So I don't know who I'm talking to, right, uh, 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 right now, but there might be people who, who can't sit through a sermon longer than 30 minutes or 45 minutes, you know. Uh, I confess that I used to preach over an hour, uh, about an hour and a half was my average, you know. Without translation, back in the day, before I came to Korea, when I was younger, uh, I used to preach like an hour, hour and a half. And on top of that, even though the sermon was hour and a half, I'd say, okay, let's pray. But instead of praying, I was preach praying. My friend uh, coined that term. I would preach pray. So let's pray about this. And explaining this, what we're praying for, became another message. And so that was like another hour. So <laughs> I made people suffer a lot. Uh, and, uh, and then I came to Korea, and before I joined a church or, you know, uh, started Joyful City, I was attending other ministries, and I'd sit through sermons, and some sermons were like an hour long. I'd be like, oh my gosh, Lord, I repent. I can't believe I did this to other people, but I still do it. <laughs> yes, hallelujah. But yes, boredom, sitting through long sermons, maybe that's a pain. Uh, doubt, right? Doubt is a pain. Um, you know, you're, you are... You know, maybe doubtful of the future. Of course, we've gone through hard times the last two years. Uh, maybe you've had other crises, crises happening in your life, uh, and you've got doubt. Uh, maybe you got doubt about the people around you. Maybe you got doubt. You don't feel secure in relationships. Do they really love me? You know, uh, maybe you have a crisis of faith. Right? I don't know if you've ever gone through that. I have, you know, multiple times, right? Where you have doubts. Is God really real? Does God really love me? Right? Is is there is this is this all for something or is this all for nothing? And you go through the through these crises of faith. And so again, there are all kinds of pain, right, in life. Life can be painful. Life can be painful. And again, uh, in today's passage. Uh, the Bible points out that this pain, you know, the suffering, uh, it happens to everybody, right? And no matter how much faith you have or how much, 
you, how much you love Jesus, we all end up crying tears of pain, you know, sooner or later. So uh, what I want for you as we, as we continue in our message, and I think this is what uh, James is doing in our passage today, is that I think it's important for us Right? As we discover God's purpose and pain, it's very important for us to have a right understanding of pain and suffering uh, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our life. Right? There's good theology when it comes to pain, and then there's bad theology when it comes to pain. And I've discovered that a lot of people suffer more because they have bad theology. They have a bad understanding of how does God see pain and why there's pain in our life when we are Christians, right? So I think the common misunderstanding is this. A lot of people, whether you are conscious of it, conscious of it or not, uh, a lot of us have either been taught, we have heard, we have learned, or we just kind of assumed and taught ourselves that we think, when bad things happen in our life, it's because God's mad at you. When bad things happen in your life, it's because God has rejected you. Or in other words, uh, we think good things happen to good Christians, but bad things happen to bad Christians. Let me say that again. If good things happen, we take that as a sign as, oh, God must be you know, happy with me. God is blessing me. I must be Good. I must be doing good. I'm doing all the right things. I'm accepted by God, right? I must be a good Christian, right? But when bad things happen, we take that as a sign that I must be a bad Christian. Now, this is the wrong way to think if you are a Christian today. If you are a Christian, if you are living through faith, through Jesus Christ, this is not what the gospel teaches at all. Right? And I see so many Christians, really well-intentioned, right, God-loving Christians who think this way. In fact, I was at a conference a few years ago, and, and uh, you know, I was, in, uh, I was in Taiwan, and there had been this, uh, this crazy flooding, and, and uh, this, this, you know, it was, it was this big natural disaster. A lot of people lost their homes and, and their lives, and, and, uh, and these people, these Christians were teaching about how, you know, there was this home that was, that was uh, not destroyed. All the other homes around it were, were destroyed except for this one home. And they say, you know, it's because these people prayed and they were good Christians and so God saved them and that's why their home wasn't destroyed. And then they talked about this pastor and now get this, everybody respected this pastor. He had a reputation for being a very good, godly man, right? There was nobody who ever thought ill of him but then he died uh, in the flood because of a he was in his car and there was a land, you know mudslide and it covered him and, and he died right and you know what these people said they said you know everybody said that he was a good christian but obviously he must have had some kind of secret sin in his life right he or he lacked faith somehow or he didn't pray enough and that's why he died in this tragedy Right, And so they were teaching this very wrong, very perverse teaching of, of the Bible, right? Or they were misinterpreting the Bible to say good things happen to good Christians and bad things happen to bad Christians, right? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt that? We're all tempted to think that. I, even now, I'm tempted to think when bad things happen in my life, it's because God is doing it on purpose to me, right? Because 
somehow he, he thinks I'm a bad person. Now, the truth is, we are all bad people, right? God has made that very clear, right? Everybody falls short, right? The Bible says all have fallen short of God's glory. So we don't have to wonder, are we bad or not? No, we are bad, right? right? Without Jesus, we are bad. We are not children of light. We are children of darkness, right? But through faith, through Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we become children of light. We become children of God. Not only that, but Jesus gives us his righteousness. Hallelujah, right? The most sinful of sinners who put their faith in Jesus Christ becomes the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus becomes the righteousness of that person. Paul said, I am the worst of Christians, right? I am the worst. I am the chief of sinners. I used to persecute Christians. I used to persecute. I used to spit on the name of Jesus. I used to, I used to martyr. I used to send Christians to their death, right? I am the most horrible, despicable person on the planet, and yet I am saved. Hallelujah. Now I'm a child of God. That's how powerful the cross is. That's how powerful the good news is. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is, that it has covered me and washed me made me white as snow, made me new. And now my standing and my position is not in my works, but it is in the work of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. So you've got to understand, right? The Bible does not ever teach, right? Or let me say it this way, the gospel, the gospel, right? Because we are New Testament believers. The gospel never teaches that good things only happen to good Christians and bad things happen to bad Christians. And if something bad happens to you, that means you're a bad Christian. Never, never. There's nothing. There's no precedence for that. There's no foundation for that. There's no evidence for that. In fact, if you read it, the Bible correctly, it shows that that is the wrong way of thinking, right? Let's look at the story of Job. When bad things starting to happen to Job, all his friends who were godly people, they, they believed in God, were all telling, what did you do wrong, Job? You must have done something wrong. Confess your sin. And Job was like, yo, I know that I'm not perfect, right? I know I'm not the most, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the most perfectly holy person, right? I got my issues, I've got bad things, but come on, man, right? This is this seems unfair, right? This doesn't seem right. How can all these bad things be happening to me, right? And 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 guess what? In the end of the Job story, God doesn't rebuke. Job, right? He teaches Job. He, he, he kind of helps Job out, but he disciplines Job's friends, right? right? They're the ones who get punished, right? Because of their wrong way of thinking. If bad things happening to you, if bad things are happening to you, it's because God, God is punishing you. God hates you. It's because you're bad, right? And that even carries into the New Testament where you see that kind of thinking, not that kind of teaching from Jesus. No, you see that kind of examples and thinking because, you know, the disciples, one day they were walking by and they see a sick person and they say, Jesus, who sinned so that this person is sick, right? It was, it, was it his sin or was it his, his parents' sin, right? See, they keep thinking in this way. If you do bad things, bad things happen to you. And then Jesus corrects him. And he says, no, it wasn't necessarily their sin. It's not all about that. No, see, now God uses those kinds of things to show his glory. Hallelujah. See, God uses pain. God uses suffering. He turns it all around, right, to show his goodness, to show show us his glory, right? And so again, 
James right now is teaching us to fix our way of thinking, to stop thinking that way, to stop having a victim mentality and stop making God so petty. Stop making God this bully. Stop making God the sadist who is like trying to punish and, and hurt people on purpose, right? Stop seeing God that way. No, we all suffer. We all suffer, right? You know, bad things happen to everybody, right? Life is full of pain. John chapter 16, verse 33. Look, Jesus says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me, not in the things of this world, not in only good things happen to you. No, in me, no matter what happens, no matter what you're going through, good, bad, or ugly, you can have peace in me. He says this, in this world, you will have trouble. Who is he saying this to? To non-Christians? No, he's saying it to Christians. He's saying it to all Christians, right? So again, for people to say, right, bad things, if bad things happen to you, it's because you don't have faith, it's because you don't believe in Jesus, or because you're a bad Christian, again, then you are saying Jesus is a liar. Jesus is saying bad things happen to everybody, right? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen? Right? This kind of thinking is opposite of the gospel, right? That that only good things happen to good Christians and bad things happen to bad Christians. In fact, the gospel says the opposite, right? You know what the gospel says? The gospel shows us Jesus, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. He is he is more gooder than good, right? He is more gooder than good. He is the goodest. He's the goodest, is, 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 right? He is the goodest. He's the perfection of goodness. He was the best. But you know what happened to the best? The worst. The worst happened to he who was the best, right? He who was perfectly sinless was crucified. He died a sinner's death. Not only was he crucified, he was mocked. Right? He was persecuted, he was attacked, he was spit on, he was betrayed. Right, Some of the worst things happened to he who was best. But why? Right? Right? Why did that happen? Right? That happened so that the best things could happen to us who are the worst. Right? We are the worst, not Jesus. Jesus is perfect. We were sinful. So when I say that we're the worst, what I mean is that we are the ones who were sinful, right? The worst happened to the best so that the best could happen to the worst, right? Not so that the best can happen to the best. Not so that good can only happen to the good, so that the good can happen even to the bad. Amen? <clears throat> as, one, uh, <clears throat> as one preacher said, right, God treated Jesus like a sinner so that God could treat sinners like Jesus. Amen. Amen. God treated Jesus like a sinner so that God could treat sinners like Jesus, so that we could be treated with the same love, with the same favor, with the same blessings as Jesus, so we could be accepted as Jesus, not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of the righteousness that we have received by faith. That, that's why Jesus said, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. What was the point of the law? right? To make us righteous, but it couldn't do it, right? That's what the Bible says. What the, the law was unable to do because it was weakened by sinful flesh, Christ came and fulfilled through his death and resurrection, right? What, was the, what, what did he fulfill, right? The purpose of making us righteous. Hallelujah. And it was through faith, right? 
so that we could have the righteousness of Jesus, so we could be loved as much as Jesus, so that we could be favored and blessed as much as Jesus. Now, that sounds blasphemous, but that's exactly what the Bible says. Even Jesus said, you have loved me, Father. You have loved them, Father, as much as with the same love that you love me. How's that possible? Through Jesus, amen? We, have, we were the worst, but we have received the best through Christ, amen? amen? Now, another thing that you need to keep in mind is that the Bible says that we live in a fallen world. I think a lot of Christians forget this, right? This world is not heaven, right? This world is not Eden, right? We, we tend to forget that, right? This world is full of pain and suffering because this is not the world that God intended for it to be. Things in this world do not work according to God's original will and plan. God never intended, God never originally planned for there to be pain and suffering in this world. Do you, do you understand that? There was no pain and suffering in, in Eden, right? Even when it came to, to giving birth, even when it came to work, right? No, it was after sin entered into the world, then God said, now you will give birth with pain. What does that mean? That means that there was no pain in birth before the fall, right? Because that Eden was the picture of the perfect world, the way God meant for the world to be. And then he says, when you work, when you toil, right? When you work, right? It's going to be toil. It's going to be hard, right? Work's going to be suffering now, right? Basically, what he's saying is life is now going to be full of pain and suffering, not because that was my plan. No, it's because of a result of sin. It's a result of the fallenness of this world because sin entered in this, into the world and corrupted this world. And so if there's anything good that happens in this planet, it's because God's goodness and grace is still in this planet together with the effects of sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when people say, how can good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, right? How can God allow that? No, no, God doesn't necessarily allow it right? When we say God allows these things, you have to be careful what you mean by that, right? God doesn't allow it necessarily. It happened because we sinned. It's because people have sinned. It's because we allowed sin to enter into this world, and that's why suffering happens. That's why tragedy happens. That's why sickness happens. That's why divorce happens. God never intended for this to happen. God never intended for there to be pain and suffering in this world. We live in a fallen world, and that's why, that's why we suffer, and that's why pain exists in this world. Amen? Right? And so, uh, so hear this. God doesn't plan pain, right? God does not plan pain, right? He doesn't say, okay, let's make a plan for, for Jimmy's life and I'm going to plan for pain to happen here, there, this, that, and this kind of pain is going to happen. This. He doesn't necessarily, okay, listen to me, not necessarily, right? He doesn't necessarily plan, intentionally want to, desire to make pain and suffering happen in your life. He doesn't plan pain, but he does make a plan for pain. There's a difference in that. He doesn't plan to make pain happen, but he has a plan for when pain does happen. See, this is the grace of God, 
right? When we sin, he could just say, okay, that's it. You guys are all on your own. I'm just going to let sin take over. But the Bible says God in his grace continues that the world is still, right? There's glory. There's the glory of God still in this world. The glory means goodness. There's still the goodness of God in this world. And part of that goodness is that he says, I'm going to put purpose in pain. I didn't have to. I didn't have to. God is not in, under any obligation to do it. We, it's our fault. We brought pain and suffering into this world through our sin, right? I mean, think about it. Think about it, right? Think about the suffering in this world, right? How much of it is attached to greed? How much of it is attached to selfishness? How much of it is attached to, to the love uh, of money? How much of it is attached to immaturity or, or just that we just don't know what to do, right? That we just are not perfect. We're not as wise as God. And so we make bad decisions. How much of that suffering is actually our fault? And not only because of our actions, but because of the forces and the, the forces of darkness, right? The Bible says that we do not wrestle just against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the forces and powers and principalities. Because when we, when we sin, we open the door for darkness and the enemy and Satan and evil forces and powers to be able to come in and operate in this world. See, right? And so... And so God was under no obligation to bring purpose into our pain, but because he is good, because he is loving, amen, because he wants to redeem, because he loves us so much, he's not going to abandon us. He puts purpose in pain, right? Hear me very clearly, right? If you're sick today, it's not because God purposely made you sick, right? That's not it, right? Sickness comes and it happens because we live in a fallen world, right? And there's a real enemy. There's a real devil. And if it's not even directly the devil, it's just that we live in this world and this world sucks. It's not heaven. Heaven is coming. Hallelujah. Amen. Heaven is coming. Jesus is coming again, right? This old, the old will pass, the new will come, right? That's one of the joys, the great joys we have as a Christian, no matter how long or how painful our suffering in this life, once we enter into eternity, it's going to feel like this. It's going to feel like that. All that pain is going to feel like this, right? Pain feels like it's going to last forever. But humans are amazing in that we, once good things start happening, we forget the pain. We tend to forget the pain, right? As soon as good things start happening, we just, it's just kind of like, it's just, wow, time went by so fast. But when you're in the pain, it feels like forever, right? Think about how good and amazing eternity is going to feel, right? All that pain is going to be in the sea of forgetfulness, amen? And so, um, what, 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 what was I saying? I don't know. God is good. If you believe, <laughs> right? If you believe God is good, say, God puts purpose in pain. Can you write that in the chat so, I get, so you can get this point? God doesn't cause pain on purpose intentionally, but he puts purpose in pain because he is good and he is gracious and he loves us. Amen? So he doesn't let our pain go to waste. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Again, we read it before. I want us to read it again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, whenever, whenever you face trials of many kinds, right? So he's not just talking about one kind of pain. He's talking about all kinds of pain. Pain that happens uh, because of uncontrollable circumstance, pain that happens to you, or pain and suffering that happens because of you. Right? Can we, can we admit that some of the pain and suffering that we are going through is actually our fault? Right? That you're in debt, right? Because of your fault. Because if you had just 
control the way you spend money, right? Or maybe some of you are lonely because you won't change your personality. You won't change your attitude when it comes to people. You say, well, if you can't love me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best, right? And sometimes that, that's, that's, that's okay to say. But sometimes that's a bad thing to say because, in fact, there are some bad things about you that you really should change. It's actually sinful. And God wants you to change it, right? He loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are, amen? And, uh, and so some of our suffering is actually our own fault. And some of you feel very guilty for that. Some of you feel like God's not going to help you because you sinned. It's because you made the mistake. You knew better. You knew God said don't do it, but you did it anyway. So you're like, I deserve this. God's not going to help me. No, no, no. The gospel says God helps those who don't deserve his help. That's what grace is. That's what mercy is, right? While we were still yet sinners, we did not deserve his death or his love or his mercy and then when we were at our worst God gave us our best and he says if I did that when you were at your worst how much more now that you have been saved through his blood how much more now will he not graciously give you all things amen so even when it's your fault God is going to work all things together for good. God's going to redeem. God's going to break through. God's going to save you. God is going to put a purpose in your pain. Now, think about it though, right? God is saying, consider it pure joy. Pure joy. Whenever you face trials, whenever you go through pain, whenever you go through suffering. Now, this sounds pretty crazy, right? It sounds like a, a masochist. The word masochist means a person who enjoys pain, right? Right? It's like, oh yeah, I love pain, right? People will hurt themselves on purpose because they take pleasure because there's something wrong with their brain. You know, there's something wrong with their emotions, right? So they're like, so you, so you listen to this or you hear this, you read this and you're like, oh, that sounds weird, right? What, what kind of person takes pleasure and joy in pain? Now, Again, you have to understand what this verse is saying. Number one, when, when he says consider it pure joy, he's not saying that you need to feel joy, right? Again, when the Bible talks about joy, it's not necessarily talking about feelings, right? It's not saying like, oh, yes, suffering. Oh, yeah, sickness. Oh, yeah, death, right? You know, and so because, you know, there's some Christians today who feel guilty. Right? For the pain they feel, for the sadness they feel, for the depression they feel. They feel guilty because we, we make them feel like, oh, if, if you're depressed, it's because you don't have faith. If you're crying, it's because you don't have faith. It's because you don't love Jesus and you don't trust Jesus, right? We make people feel guilty. But, you know, Jesus never did that. Jesus never blamed people for their weakness. He helped people in their weakness. He didn't condemn people. He put grace upon people. In fact, he said, mourn with those who mourn. Right? Right? Cry with those who cry. Right? Don't just say, hey, just have faith. It's going to be okay. Right? You'll see them again. Just have faith. Right? Don't cry so much. Don't suffer so much. Right? What's wrong with your faith? Now, you know, one of our mistakes is we feel, we make people feel guilty for their pain. We make people feel ashamed. Right? For their suffering. We make people feel like less of a Christian. Right? For their weakness. And, and Jesus doesn't do that. Right? So we're not talking about, the Bible's not saying you need to feel joy. No. This is a perspective. Right? That even as I feel the pain, as I feel suffering, he's saying, do not let, the, the, that, do not let that feeling consume you. Don't let that feeling deceive you. Don't let that feeling destroy you. Right? But have 
right? Do all that you can to have a perspective, a perspective, a perspective, a perspective, a perspective, not from earth to earth, but from heaven to earth. Have a eternal perspective, a God perspective, and say, yeah, the suffering sucks, right? But God is with me. God can work all things together for good. God can redeem this God. Somehow, he's going to put a purpose in my pain, right? I mean, think about it again. What kind of people rejoice in pain, right? Again, when I say rejoice in pain, I'm not saying they enjoy the pain, like, oh, yeah, right, yeah, feel the burn, right? No, what kind of people can still have joy in pain? That's what we're talking about, right? And again, joy is an attitude. Right? Joy is a faith. It's a conviction. How many people can still have gratitude and thankfulness in pain? What kind of person can do that? I'll tell you what kind of person. A person who knows that God can put a purpose in their pain. A person who has purpose in pain can have hope. That's what we're talking about. Can have hope in pain. Can have joy in pain. So again, when a mother is giving birth, it's so painful, right? But there's a joy deep inside. There's a peace. There's a hope deep inside. Why? Because they know that the pain has a purpose. Something good, something greater, something amazing is going to happen, right? How can a person have joy when they're working out and suffering, right? It's like, oh my gosh, right? Because they have a purpose, right? So God wants you to know there's a purpose in your pain. And the reason why he's telling you that is so that you would have hope, so that you have peace, that you have something to look forward to, so that you, you, you can have faith, so that you can have joy even in the midst of your pain. Amen? Not after the pain is over, but when you have, even while you're in the pain, right? That's a miracle. Amen? That is God. Anybody can have joy after the pain. It takes God, it takes a miracle to have joy in the pain. Amen? Muhammad Ali. Again, the great people say the greatest boxer who ever lived. He said this, I hated every minute of training, right? This is the great Muhammad Ali, right? I hated every minute of training, but I told myself, don't quit. Why? He said, suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion, right? Suffer now, right? This pain has a purpose, right? Do not waste your pain, right? Don't just say, oh, I can't wait for the pain to be over, right? Don't just chamel. Don't just, 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 don't just passively just wish the pain away. No, put a purpose in your pain. Don't waste it, right? He said, okay, if I'm going to suffer, let's suffer with a purpose. Like, let's make the most of this pain, right? Because this pain is going to make me stronger. This, this pain is going to mature me. This pain is going to help me realize that I am a champion, that I am more, right, than what people say. I am more than who I think I am, right? If I go through this suffering, I will live as a champion for the rest of my life. Come on, somebody say, God is making me a champion today. Somebody say it in the chat. I am a champion. I am a champion. I am a champion of God. This is something that God wants somebody to hear today, right? It's not about your grades. It's not about your good works. It's not about your failures. You keep, you keep defining yourself. You keep bringing up your past. You keep thinking about your past. You keep apologizing for your past. Stop it. Stop it. It's time to start 
speaking God's words over your life to say, I am a champion, amen? I am a champion. God says you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you, amen? I am a champion. I'm not a loser, I'm a champion. I'm an overcomer. I'm not going through a pain just because God has rejected me. I'm going through this pain because God loves me. In fact, sometimes the greater the pain, the greater the destiny, Right, the greater the calling, right? The pain is a sign that God is doing something greater. He's preparing you for something greater in your life. Amen. So embrace it. Embrace it. If you're going through loneliness, embrace it. I'm not saying enjoy it, right? Don't be a masochist, right? But embrace it. Say, yes, God. Use this, God. Use this, God. Use this, God. I don't just want to waste it. Use it, God. That's how you embrace pain. It's say, God, don't let this pain go to waste. Let it produce something. Let it be something in the future. See, the Bible says this, right? When you go through suffering, after you've gone through that suffering, right, you're going to have a testimony. And you're going to be able to help people who are going to go through what you went through. With the same comfort we have received, we comfort others. You know, some of the greatest preachers today are because they went through the greatest sufferings. In fact, I've seen ministries of healing, physical healing, and, and, and almost, without exception, every single person that God is using with, uh, to do mighty miracles is because they needed a miracle in their own life. Because they went through, through, through troubles and, and suffering and sickness, you know. Uh, in fact, Cho Yong Gi Moksanim, right? Pastor Cho Yong Gi, right? Uh, he just passed away. And, uh, you know, of course... I want to say this as a church, as a pastor. It's like, you know, a lot of people are attacking him and say, oh, he was bad, he was bad, he was blah, 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 right? But, you know, I see him as a King David, right? David, King David made a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of people in the Bible who made a lot of mistakes, right? Uh, and, uh, but God's grace is sufficient. And, and we are still, especially as a younger generation, God wants us to honor even those who have made big, great mistakes. You know what I mean? And so there's a lot of other people right now making the big mistake of dishonoring and attacking and judging, you know, the older generation or people like, you know, David Yonggi Cho, Pastor David Yonggi Cho, right? And uh, we're not excusing their mistakes or their sins, but we are covering with grace, right? Love covers over a multitude of sin with grace. And, and King David showed honor to King Saul. Obviously, King Saul was a very bad man. I mean, he was a very bad king. And Saul covered and honored Saul. So I want to honor uh, Pastor David Yonggi Cho. I was very heartbroken and uh, you know, to hear the news of his passing because he was a hero of faith in mine. And, and in fact, his mistakes just made him even more of a palpable, relatable uh, hero to me. And, uh, but yeah, what was I talking about? I was talking about the fact that, you know, you know, God used by his grace, God used uh, Pastor David Yonggi Cho in a mighty way, the biggest church of the world. But, you know, numbers are not everything. There were so many testimonies of healings and, and, and miracles and provisions, right? Especially right after the war in Korea where the, the nation was poor and broken and, and God showed up in mighty ways. You know where that all started? It started in, in Moksanim's life when he also went through a great sickness. In fact, he almost died as a young man. It was part of his salvation testimony. Right, that that the doctor said you only have a few months to live, and it was in that time that 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 not only did God save him, but God healed him, right? And out of that pain and that suffering, there was a faith, right, that was birthed to say, if God can do this for me, He could surely do it for other people, right? He had this gnosko faith, not a theory faith, 
but he actually experienced it, so he knew for sure in his heart, yes, God did this in me, so God did this to others, can do this in others. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, I want to close with this. This is actually the second half of the sermon, but I'm going to try to put it into the last uh, one-fifth of the sermon right here. But let me say this. The greatest purpose, again, God puts purpose in pain. He doesn't plan pain, but he, will, he doesn't make pain happen on purpose, but he put, pur puts purpose in pain. And one of the greatest purposes that God puts in pain is that he uses pain as an opportunity to help us to be closer to him, right? That's the greatest. That's the most important thing in life, ladies and gentlemen. That's the thing that God wants for you and me more than anything else, right? More than blessings, more than houses, more than cars, more than money, right? More than marriage. He knows that the greatest joy is for you to be close to him. Now, I want to clarify this because so many times as preachers and pastors, we will say, say things like, God uses pain, God uses suffering, right, to, to make us closer to Him, right, or to, 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 to make us, yeah, to bring us closer to Him, right? Now, if you think about it, when you say it that way, it actually sounds really mean. <laughs> it seems like a, God is very manipulative, right? God is causing pain to make you love him, right? It sounds like some kind of manipulative right, person, like, hmm, right, I'm gonna make you love me, right? And so I'm gonna plan suffering in your life so you come to me, right? Uh, God doesn't do that, right? God doesn't do that. In fact, uh, if anything, the Bible is very clear about how God gives us free will, and he doesn't try to manipulate or control our will. So when we say that God uses pain to make us closer to him, we are not saying that God causes pain to make us love him. That's never the case, right? Instead, I think it's, it's helpful, maybe it will be helpful for you to think of pain as an opportunity, not a cause, right? It's not something he makes happen on purpose, but it's an opportunity. When it does happen, when it does happen, God can use it as an opportunity for us to experience more of his love and grace, right? So for example, I know uh, people who will say that one of their favorite memories of their childhood was when they were sick or when they got hurt and their mom and dad took care of them, right? Like, I was sick. In fact, oh, I don't want to cry, but uh, I, I remember one time I was really, really sick and my grandfather, uh, from my dad's side, uh, you know, he, he stayed with me all night and uh, in fact, you know, he, he held me all night uh, in, in the bed, you know, and because uh, I had a fever and he just held me. I just never forgot that. One of the reasons I didn't forget that was because actually it made it worse. <laughs> it made me really, really hot right, as he was holding me. I was like, ah, oh, you know. Uh, uh, but in my heart, I was like, wow, you know. My, my heart with Jesus loves me so much that he's holding me all through my sickness. Now, did my grandfather cause my sickness to make me love him more? No, right? It, was, it, it happened. It just happened. Again, we live in a fallen world. Sickness happened. Bad things happen. And then God steps in to show compassion, show love. It's an opportunity, right, for us to fall more in love in, with, with him as we witness, as we experience his love through the pain. Does that make sense? It's an opportunity. 
And so again, pain is an unfortunate opportunity. It's not God's first choice, but because pain and suffering happens in this life anyways, right? God steps in like a parent when we're sick, when we're hurting, and embraces us, gives us medicine, takes care of us, gives us chicken noodle soup, right? Helps us through the pain, is with us through the pain, and we experience God's love through that, amen? Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is close, to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit, right? Again, pain is an opportunity for us to experience the grace of God, the love of God, and through that, we become closer to God. Um, as we close, I want to I highlight like the, the pain of failure, right? How God can use even the pain of our failure, right, for us to experience more of God's love, which is the opposite, because a lot of times we think failure separates us from God. The failure, you know, uh, will cause God to not bless us, but in fact punish us. But in fact, the opposite happens. That's what the gospel says. That's why it's good news. That's why it's amazing news, right? That's why it's news that doesn't make sense, right? That through our failure, through our weaknesses, through our sins, God uses that as an opportunity for us to actually experience more of Him, more of His love and grace, so that we are more closer to Him. And as we are more closer to Him, we are changed and transformed through that. So John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. This is part of uh, Peter's story. And if you don't know, Peter denied Jesus three times, which to, to uh, many Christians, if we're, you know... Uh, we, we, we do tend to think that that's probably the worst thing you can do as a Christian is to deny your faith, to denounce Jesus, right? Uh, and we think the greatest thing would be to be martyred, right? It's like, you know, deny Jesus. No, I'd rather die, right? It's like we have this kind of fantasy. Uh, and so Peter denies Jesus three times. And, uh, and then Jesus is crucified. He's buried. And then he rises again. And when he rises again, he meets Peter. And the Bible says he restores Peter. And this is that conversation on how Jesus restored Peter. Verse 15. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. Verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time, third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, of course, immediately, uh, what it seems like is that this is a parallel. Jesus is using a parallel here to what Peter did, right? Peter obviously has shown, demonstrated through his actions that his love for God is lacking, is weak, it's immature, right? He was the one who said, oh, I will die for you. I will die for you. I love you more than anybody else. I'm going to prove to you, right, that I love you. And then he is the one who ended up denying Jesus three times, right, three times. And so Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Now, here's the interesting thing about this conversation is that in English, we will not catch this, or maybe in Korean, you won't see this, right? But in the original language, it reveals something very powerful and very interesting, right? When Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? In fact, in the original language, there are different words for love, right? There's uh, uh, agapao, right? agape, 
right? Agape love. There's phileo love. Uh, and then there's eros, eros love, right? Eros is where we get the word erotic. Phileo, right? Uh, if you are familiar with the city of Philadelphia, right? It's the city of brotherly love. And so phileo tends to, uh, you know, we tend to define it as brotherly love. But agape, right, is unconditional sacrificial love. And so we see, we tend to think of agape love as the ultimate greatest love. And then there's phileo and then there's eros, right? And what's interesting is that when Jesus asks Peter, the first two times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He's actually saying, do you agape me? Do you agape me? That's the first two times. But Peter's response is, like, is not, yes, Lord, I agape you. He's actually using a different word. He says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. So in a way, Jesus is saying, do you love me this much? Peter's saying, yes, Lord, I love you, but I love you this much. And again, the second time, Peter, do you agape me? Right? Do you love me as much as I love you? Do you love me the way I love you? Do you love me with the ultimate, most perfect love? And Peter humbly says, Lord, I love you, but I love you here at Phileo Love. And the third time, something really interesting happens. Jesus changes his question from, do you agape me? He actually comes down to Peter's level and says, do you, Peter? Peter, do you Phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. I phileo you. Um, the first thing I want to point out is, notice in verse 17, the last time Jesus asked, the third time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you phileo me? Right? At this point, Jesus is now coming down to Peter's level. Peter's response is this, Lord, you know all things. Right? One preacher pointed out how this is pointing to Peter's acknowledgement that God is omniscient. God knows all things. God knows all things, right? And one preacher said, now a lot of people may think that's a scary thing. It's like, oh no, he knows my every thought, every good, bad, and ugly. He knows, right? He's watching me, right? He knows everything I did. And, and, and sometimes we think that's a scary thing, but it's actually God uses it in a very gracious way. God uses it as a grace thing, as a good thing, as a loving thing, right? Because Peter says, you are omniscient, you know all things, right? And what Peter is saying is, God, you know, you know, you know my heart. And you know that even though my actions do not say I love you because you're omniscient, because you know all things, you know that I actually love you. See, the word phileo, doesn't just mean brotherly love. It's actually also used to say, I have great affection for you. So Peter is saying, Lord, you know, right? I think he's probably crying. And maybe this is why he's hurting, right? He's painful because it's not just reminding him of the third time he denied Jesus. It's so painful because the love of God is so good. <laughs> It hurts so bad, but it hurts so good, right? It's like, how can you love me like this, right? He's saying, God, I know what I did 
says, I don't love you. I denied you three times, right? And it, and it proves, and, it, and, 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 and other people will look and look at that, look at my actions and say, see, Peter doesn't really love Jesus. But no, God, you know everything. You know that my, my, my actions are one thing, but you know my heart, and you know that even when my actions do not line up with my heart, you know what my heart is. You know that I genuinely truly have great affection for you. And I think that's why Jesus says, do you phileo me? Because he's saying, yeah, I know. I know that your actions may not always say you love me, even though you try. I know that, that you'll feel doubts. I know that you will get angry. I know I know you're weak. And, and even to Peter, he says, I know your love for me is weak and immature and falls short of my glory. But that doesn't mean it's not real. It's still real. It's still genuine. I know that you phileo me. Amen. And it's amazing because, again, the other part of this is how Jesus changes the word from agape to phileo. It's, it's, it's the gospel, right? God came from heaven to earth. He came to where we are, Right? Let us not ever forget, as we go through our pain and our suffering, he became one of us to suffer like us so that we may know, right, there is another in the fire. Amen? Just like the song says, there's another in the fire. There's another in the fire, right? So that even as we go through suffering, part of us could be like, God, why don't you take my suffering away? And God will say, I'm with you. I'm with you in the storm. I'm with you in this fire. Remember, I took the nails in my hands. I suffered through the cross. I suffered, right, the greatest suffering for you so that you know that I'm with you and I'm putting a purpose in your pain and I'm putting a purpose in your suffering. I am with you, God. Thanks for joining us today. 오늘 저희와 함께 해주셔서 감사합니다. Joyful City Church is an international church located in Ilsan that exists to make an impact in Korea and beyond. 조이풀 시티 교회는 일산에 위치한 국제 교회로 한국과 전 세계에 영향력을 끼치기 위해 존재하는 교회입니다. Our mission is to help everybody taste and see that God is good. 저희의 미션은 모든 이들이 주님의 선하심을 맛보고 알도록 돕는 것입니다. So, whether you are a Korean or a foreigner, there's a community at our church for you. 여러분이 한국인이든 외국인이든 저희 교회에는 여러분을 위한 공동체가 있습니다. We would love for you to come visit us and give us a chance to make you feel at home. 그러니 꼭 오셔서 가족과 같은 공동체를 누려보세요. For information about our service time and directions, visit our website at joyfulcity.org. 예배 시간이나 주소 등더 많은 정보가 알고 싶으시다면 저희 웹사이트에서 확인하실 수 있습니다. 웹사이트 주소는 joyfulcity.org입니다. Thanks again and hope to see you soon. 다시 한번 감사드리고요. 곧 만나뵐 수 있기를 바래요.